This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's a joy to be with you today on January 16th, 2024. The Iowa caucuses. Well, former President Trump had a very convincing, resounding victory. What does that mean? What is going to happen in New Hampshire? What, 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 what? People have a lot of questions, and I think we need to look at that because there are reports that Democrats, that people all over the country, should I say, are having trouble voting. But we're not talking about it because effectively, uh, even though we're having primaries because there is no presidential primary, you know, people are not talking about the primary season the way they would ordinarily. So let's, I mean, I was just in a back and forth with a very, very dear friend and ally last night. I said by not having a primary, Democrats have done themselves no favors. Because it's because of the presidential contest that people really start talking. And that's not what's happening on the Democratic side. So let's talk about it, everybody. Call me at 773-763-9278. Are you surprised by the outcome in Iowa? What do you expect in New Hampshire? Or are you not paying attention simply because it's the Republicans? I would urge you not to do that. You saw... Former President Trump strikes a conciliatory tone last night because he won by more than 50 percent for all of the monies put behind DeSantis and Haley and Ramaswamy. Didn't matter. He won by more than 50 percent, not participating in the debates, holding his own town hall meetings and all of that. That speaks to some accord that he has struck that is deep within not just the MAGA crowd. No, he's striking a chord that is deep within the American body politic. And we need to understand what it is. If you hope to fight it, you need to know what it is. Honey, if you have cancer, you do not need cold medicine. You need to know you need to know what you're dealing with. So let's talk about that on the Santita Jackson show. We're going to have Ray McGovern talking about his confrontation. He confronted Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about that. It was something to behold. Of course, they escorted him out of the event. Of course they did. We're also going to talk with him about the intelligence community's role in Dr. King's life. I can't let that go. When I saw the tweet from the FBI honoring Dr. King, honestly, it was just too much. Given the fact that this is an entity that tried to get him to kill himself. Given the fact that this is an entity that is profoundly implicated in his murder, his assassination. I just... It's hard for me to wrap my arms around it. So let's talk about just what's happening in American politics with Ray McGovern today and with this panel. Uh, But let's start off talking about what happened with the Iowa caucuses and why we should be looking at those and our own primaries that are coming up. Yeah, they're they're almost here. Are you excited about them? Do you even know when they are? (laughs) Call me at 773-763-9222. 78773-763-WCPT. Let's get to some of these headlines so we can get to the good news of Pastor Stephen Thurston, everybody. Former President Donald Trump won the Iowa Republican caucuses by an unprecedented margin. 
cementing his front-runner status in the GOP primary field as he vies to be the party's 2024 nominee and reclaim the White House. He received 51% of the vote despite battling four indictments, including charges tied to his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis edged out former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who has experienced a surge over the past few weeks, for a distant second-place finish with just over 21 and 19% of the vote, respectively. Also on Monday, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, who finished fourth in Iowa, ended his campaign and immediately endorsed former President Trump. Israel's war in Gaza has brought famine with such, quote, incredible speed, according to the, according to the United Nations, uh, that they warn that the great majority of 400,000 Gazans are starving in the besieged enclave. Now, they were already not eating properly because Israel was restricting their caloric intake. Before October 7th, elsewhere in the region, a Houthi ballistic missile struck a U.S.-owned cargo cargo ship on Monday. Remember, they are in solidarity with the Gazans, everybody. A treacherous winter storm in the U.S. has caused major flight disruptions across the country this week, creating headaches for thousands of travelers southwest topped the list of most affected airlines for the second consecutive day on Monday with more than 700 flights canceled, about 18% of its schedule. Mm, Unlike the holiday meltdown of 2022, the carrier said the recent cancellations were not due to technical issues and will ease up considerably today. Authorities here in Chicago are scrambling to shelter migrants in the dangerous cold as Texas Governor Greg Abbott refuses to stop drop-offs. Illinois Democratic Governor Jamie Pritzker recently warned in a letter to his GOP counterpart that sending migrants now to the Windy City could cost lives. Over the last few weeks, mayors of New York, Chicago, and Denver have been irked by, quote, road buses from Texas dropping off migrants by the thousands. They need to arrest the bus drivers, everybody. And they need to make this a real issue um, with uh, with Governor Abbott. Congressman Jonathan Jackson has sent a letter to the Department of Justice charging him with human and child trafficking. And they need to take that seriously and get on with the program. How about that? Call me at 773-763-9278. What do you think about that, dropping these people off in this frigid cold? This is a horrible thing. All right, everybody, let's get right to it. In Chicago, we are going to have a high of two degrees today. It will be cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, five degrees, mostly cloudy. In sports, the Buccaneers, 32, the Eagles, 9, the Bills, 31, the Steelers, 27. In the NBA, the Cavaliers, 109, the Bulls, 91. In the NHL, the Wild, 5, the Islanders, nothing. And those are some of the headlines. We have a new pastor, a new covenant, Missionary Baptist Church. This is you, your dad, your grandfather, boy, you Thurston's just keep on coming, preaching machines that you are, praise the Lord. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, all jokes aside, I thank God for your anointing and your willingness to serve. Just down through the years, you all just generation after generation after generation, my father and I and family will be with you on Sunday as we have been down through the years. That's right. <laughs> Whenever a Thurston goes in, you always know the Jacksons will be there. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And absolutely. So what's going on at New Covenant? Yes, yeah, so my dad has pastored that church for 45 years, and we're going to mm-hmm. pause Sunday to celebrate the backbone of those 45 years, that being my mother. 
just been there by his side, made mm. sure me and my siblings were taken care of and raised properly as he literally crisscrossed the globe preaching and doing what he did uh, to serve the kingdom of God uh, over these 45 years. And so we're going to honor her and celebrate her and give her some flowers while she literally can still smell them. And so that's what Sunday's going to be all about as we make this transition of them out and me in. That's what we're doing. I cannot wait. This is Joyce Thurston, one of my mother's dearest, dearest sister friends, my Aunt Joyce, yeah. really. And I just thank <laughs> God for her. Well, really, I mean, just yes. the epitome of what a first lady ought to be. I just, and I think of really what a woman ought to be, a great woman of God. And she deserves to be honored because um, she has done so much. You know, most people don't realize how tough ministries are on clergy marriages. Families, yes. Yeah. The divorce rate is through the roof. People don't know that, though, Pastor Thurston. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. They really don't. So when you see these marriages make it, that's a big deal. It's and deal. it's not easy. It's not, it's not yeah. easy. It's not easy. My mother will tell you it hasn't been easy, but it's that's been right. worth it. That's right. And so, you know, that's that's the end of that. But it's not been easy. It's not been easy. And y'all don't make it easy. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Because, you know, because people, people need hurting people, you know, need a lot of help. And that is just that's the way true. that it works. So... You know, you thank God that God has trusted you enough to allow you to serve. And so I just thank God for you and your family and all that you have done for us down through the years. And so um, we will be with you at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. I'm going to run out of my radio show and get on over there because Pastor Tisha Dixon-Williams, I know, is going to give a word that's going to make me run up, shout, and maybe and do a handspring. How about that? <laughs> all of that. <laughs> all of that. All of that. All of that. So I'm sending you so much love and can't wait to be with you on Sunday. So what is the good news today? The good news is that the New Year's resolutions that many of us made, they can be simplified and we can make it easy as one, two, three. And I know we're only two weeks in. Some of us have failed miserably <laughs> with these resolutions that we've Ooh, set for this yeah. new year, just two weeks in. And some of us said, I quit. I'll wait till 2025. But listen, if you're like me and like the majority of people in this country, the well-intentioned regular people who genuinely want change, we will aspire to big things and then later get frustrated and give up on this list that we made. And this is probably not the first year that this has happened. But what if we kept it really simple this time? Let's try something different this year. What if we didn't have to make an endless list and be reminded by looking at it of all the things we may fail at again? What if we made it as easy as literally one, two, three? Let's do this. I want us to try this this year and see if it makes a difference. Number one, make one your magic number. I want you to count to one each day, starting now, not going back to January 1st, but today. What is the one thing you want and will do today? One email or paragraph you'll write, or one chapter you'll read, or one person you'll reach out to. Who's the lucky person you'll text or call to tell them how much you miss them or appreciate them? How encouraged 
you feel by knowing them or how you want to ask forgiveness from them. Who is the one person you can write to or call to laugh about that one funny memory that you only share with them? I personally made a commitment to write a call or pray for a person whenever they cross my mind that same day. No longer will I wait, Santita. And there is a reason. I believe we are reminded of people and life is it's really fragile. And I don't want to miss an opportunity and regret not uplifting someone who could have been encouraged or speaking kindness to someone who could have benefited from it because I pushed it off to later and then forgot about it. So what's one thing? What's that one thing you're going to do today to move to a healthier and happier you? Maybe it's just one set of squats while you're washing dishes or one jump rope you're going to order off of Amazon and one minute of jumping that you'll do when it arrives or one glass of wine or Coca-Cola that you'll replace with water or tea just once today. Which one item would you change in your menu today for something that's better for your body? What's the one happy song you're going to listen to in the car on the quick walk? Not in Chicago, though. I'm waiting until it warms up before you take a walk outside. (laughs) What's the one shop that you'll drive to, you'll park far away, and then you get some extra steps in because you didn't sit circling the parking lot for 20 minutes trying to get the one up front? Just walk. What's the one day you'll take that extra walk to get into the store? So that's the one thing we're going to do. Number two. Remember, there are two significant ways that your brilliant mind registers and remembers everything. That's through words and images. So I want you to paint clear, vivid, beautiful pictures for your mind of what it is that you want. Think backwards. Create an image of what your completed accomplishment looks like to you and make it as detailed and as exciting as you possibly can. See yourself having arrived at the healthy weight you want to. You fitting into that outfit of your desire that's been sitting in the closet for the past three years. See yourself hearing the friends and just strangers even complimenting you on how radiant and healthy and great you look. Thinking about how you love taking care of your body inside and out. See yourself having completed that degree, the project, the letter, the book, the task, whatever it is. See yourself walking across the stage, getting that degree. I know you're 60. You can still walk across that stage. People See people wanting to buy your product, welcoming your project, asking you to give your presentation again, asking you about and enjoying the summary of what you read or learned recently. Imagine yourself buying that house that you've painted in your mind and furnishing it and having friends and family over laughing and resting in that comfortable space that you've created. See yourself in a relationship that you just repaired or found and are enjoying. See how good it is for you and the other person. See and hear the uplifting conversations you're having and the fun activities that you're enjoying together. You got to see it before you see it. That's all I'm trying to get you to do. But when you're talking to yourself, use words that are kind and uplifting and life-giving and generous, not the opposite. Speak in the same way you would to someone you love and care about, someone whose success would make you as happy as your own, someone you want to see happy, encouraged, and loved. Talk to yourself in your mind out loud like that each day, and I guarantee you that some amazing things will happen. And then third, imagine yourself as a triangle, one side your mind, connected to the second your heart, 
connected to the third, your body. With, with, with the entire space inside, filled with who you really and most proudly and profoundly are, your spirit, all of you needs to be cared for, attended to, and nurtured. Pay attention to what each part of you needs and requires. Pay attention to how each part might be lacking, what's missing. What's the one thing you can do today to nurture each part? Listen, I nourish my spirit through silence and reflection, which fills me with focus, strength, and insight. And I always pray for at least one person outside of my family as well. Listen, there it is. There's the one, two, three. That's what we need to do as we move forward this year with our resolutions. And when you get to the end of your day today, I want you to be sure to congratulate yourself on that one thing you did that you stepped out and engaged. I want you to look forward to doing something like that again tomorrow, each day. Just pick one thing. Be your own cheerleader and encourager. And over time, Santita, I believe that we'll see the change that we've been looking for because we took it one thing one day at a time. That's all that's being asked of you, just one day at a time, your daily bread, not the loaf. That's it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, the hardest thing is to begin. Thank that's you it. so yep. much. Let's start with one, everybody. Join us 9 a.m. on Sunday, this coming Sunday, the 21st, at the New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church. Right on Cottage Grove, 77th and Cottage. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be great. Dr. Knighton, stay right there. I want to talk with you for a couple of minutes on the other side. I have a couple of questions for you about COVID and why so many of us are still being hospitalized with it. What can we do to beat back infection, everybody? What are we not doing? Huh? Back with more of the San Peter Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about Iowa, the Iowa caucus. Many of you would say, okay, we're not Republicans. Well, some of you are quite, actually, those who listen to the show, given the people who I've been meeting. But I think that if you're interested, if you're an American, you ought to be interested in the whole process. I'm a musician. And one of the things that I do as a soloist, as a vocalist, I know, number one, I am but a voice in the band. And that helps you to sing better, which means I need to know what the drummer is doing, what the bassist is doing, what the guitarist is doing, what the pianist is doing. I need to know all their parts, and we need to know each other's parts so that we can be in harmony with each other. And I think that Americans need to know what is going on in American politics. Okay, uh, and I have to tell you, I have been a little disturbed by the fact that we don't have, more than a little disturbed, that we don't have a Democratic primary uh, on the presidential side because that would stir 
conversations down ticket. But before we get to that, let's talk to Dr. Shanina Knighton, who's been very, very patient with us as ran over a little ran over with Pastor Stephen Thurston, who is um being elevated to the pastorship of his church, New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church here in Chicago. But of course, as our infection preventionist, I have a question in this frigid cold. I mean, girl, it is so cold here. It is just, I can't even open my terrace door, Dr. Knighton. It's frozen. Shut. (laughs) I was like, huh? You know, I put something out there just to to really freeze it. Oh, I'm not going to get to it. That's, that's, that's over. Wow. But you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, I was reading an article that said that 1,500 persons a week are being hospitalized with COVID. How can that be true? For multiple reasons, Santita, um, a lot of the, and I continue to say this, but infection prevention and control practices are completely not paid attention to as they should be in regards to their importance. Germs are things that we cannot see, and unfortunately, behavior changes hard. When we are amongst people that are still coughing and telling us that it's not a cough, when people still care more about being in a social setting than how they're feeling. So someone can actually have a cold, someone can be ill, and they'll still end up coming to a setting without caring about making someone else sick. Um, someone will feel like they're coming down with a cold. We're no longer screaming for COVID. We're not screaming for COVID anymore. So before, we would actually be looking to see, hey, you know, let's go ahead and get these COVID tests, and that COVID test would determine how people move. There would be screening measures of where individuals would say, hey, have you had a cough, sneeze, or runny nose within the last past week? And that right there would determine whether or not someone would be allowed in a particular setting. Now, without those measures in place, without environmental cleaning, meaning that there's no longer cleaning of counters and kiosks, we're now placed in a situation of where everything is fair game. And I said early on in the pandemic, assume that everybody got COVID and assume that you have it and move with that same intensity, meaning that you want to make sure you're in practice and infection prevention so others around you don't get it. And you also want to make sure that you're moving and practicing infection prevention and control so you don't get it from others. And this is just the reality of where we are right now um, that we're not acknowledging. So when you asked about hospitalizations, unfortunately, I'm not surprised um, with there being, let's say, the waxing and waning of vaccines, with um, individuals not taking, let's say, the boosters because of recognizing how rapid COVID is moving in terms of mutating. We now have that coupled with RSV as well as pneumonia. And when we're also talking about these hospitalizations, we have to remember that during the first wave of COVID, a lot of individuals that died, they passed away because they had, or the people that were more likely to die from it, had co-infections with pneumonia, flu, and other illnesses such as RSV as well, which is respiratory sensor virus. Everybody, please be careful out here. Be careful, be careful. I mean, because also, you know, bosses are not um, sympathetic in the same way that they were, you know, during uh, during the stated pandemic. We're still in it. 
And so people, you know, are being told, you, you got to get back to work. You got to do what you got to do. And so there's, I mean, there are a lot of forces driving this. You know, when I used to get off the airplane in New York, you go to the truck and you get tested before you, before you even went into the city. That's over. That's over. So, Dr. Shanina Knighton, I want to thank you for helping us to understand that we still have to be very careful and careful in an aggressive way, in an aggressive way. Infection prevention matters, everybody. Wash those hands, please. And when you're in settings where you really ought not feel the most comfortable, consider wearing a mask. Really, really, really. And be very, very careful. Be careful. Love you, Dr. Shanina Knighton. Hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. Hey, Dr. Nina, sending you so much love today. Well, what happened in Iowa? Uh, The corporate media certainly did not want to see this happen. Certainly they were figuring out ways for Trump to lose or not to have the resounding win that he had yesterday, but he won by 51%. That's resounding. Well, was it not, Dr. Reverend Dr. Todd Yeary, National Leadership Team of Rainbow Push, senior pastor of the Douglas Memorial Church in Baltimore, Maryland, historian from the University of Arizona, Dr. David Gibbs. At the top of the hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Ray McGovern talking about not only this election, but his confrontation, his confronting of Robert Kennedy about his stance on Israel. And I'm going to ask him about the intelligence community's relationship with Dr. King, what they did to him. I have a lot of questions for him, and you should too, and so will our panel. Uh, but, you know, it's something very interesting. Dr. Gibbs, I'm going to start with you. All right. Um, in, it is in this context that Trump won, that something interesting is happening in the American body politic. According to the Gallup poll, for the first time in many, many years, there are a record low number of Americans who will self-identify as Democrats. Only 27%, when you take out the the people who lean independent, only 27% self-identify as Democrats. Now, 27% identify as Republicans, but that's up two points from a couple of years ago. And it's in this context, you know, that you have a lot of people keep talking about, you know, the MAGA Republicans and all of that. I even saw Dick Cheney's daughter, Liz Cheney, you know, at, you know, a black church yesterday talking about Dr. King and the threat that that Donald Trump is. I'm like, how is he a threat? You voted with him 90% of the time. What are you talking about? This is a personal fight that y'all are having with someone who took establishment Republicans out. That's all I can see. Because they don't care about anything else. You voted with him 90% of the time. What happened yesterday in Iowa? Were you surprised by him getting 51% of the vote? Uh, no, I wasn't surprised. The polls did show he would... Uh... Uh, perform well in Iowa, and um, all the indications are he's going to be the Republican nominee, and at least at this point, uh, he's leading Joseph Biden, and the poll at the election held today, he very likely would win the election against Biden. Uh, so uh, there really weren't that many surprises. I suppose I was a little bit surprised that Ramaswamy didn't do better than he did, um, mm-hmm. uh, just because he is a very effective on television. He's, he is very articulate, uh, no matter what you may think of his positions. But he didn't do well, and he um, pulled out of the race. Um, I think one of the things you're seeing is a kind of collapse of public confidence 
and votes from all establishment institutions, including the parties. And to that, as an academic, you're also seeing public collapse of confidence in academia. Uh, that's one of the, in the press, in, um, uh, it's pretty much everywhere. A collapse of public trust is taking place. Um, you know, and Donald Trump is very much part of uh, the response to that. Uh, again, I, I don't think he's a good response personally, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. that is what you're seeing. Um, so I think the decline of party affiliation here, uh, particularly in the Republican and the uh, Democratic Party, is, is just part and parcel of a generalized trend that people are losing confidence in the establishment. Um, and one of the things that I thought was interesting, not surprising, but interesting, was Nikki Haley, because if you look at sort of the old Republican establishment, those who backed George W. Bush, for example, those who backed Mitt Romney, um, you know, Liz Cheney representing her father, Richard Cheney, to some degree, uh, they were behind Nikki Haley. The, the, you know, if you look at the New York Times, the Washington Post, they're almost cheering on Nikki Haley as if this is precisely the kind of Republican we want. We don't want the Trumpian Republican. We don't want Donald Trump personally. But we want an old-style Republican, somebody a little bit more like George W. Bush, maybe, or perhaps Richard Cheney. Um, You know, Liz Cheney, of course, has become a hero in Democratic circles these days. I find all of this a bit disturbing, frankly, because if you compare presidents, I'll say very honestly, I, I think Trump was a bad president. But if you look at objectively what he did versus, say, George W. Bush, okay, George W. Bush started a war in Iraq that killed a million people and wasted something like $5 billion trillion with no positive effect based on, let's be frank here, based on lies. Anything quite on that scale. And so it's, it's, it's disturbing to me that the lineal descendant of the Bush-Cheney legacy, Nikki Haley, is the one the establishment would like to see as the Republican nominee. Um, you know, she's very close to the military-industrial complex. She has all these ties to the military-industrial complex. Um, and she seems to be somebody who is um, you know, she's all about the expansion of American military power overseas. That seems to be what she's about. Um, and this is the one the establishment is cheering on. And it, it's noteworthy that she did poorly in Iowa. She came in not even second, but third after DeSantis. And so you, what you're getting is, again, is a, a split between elites and masses that the elites, in this case, the media elites, Want somebody who really isn't very popular with voters, and I think that was demonstrated last night. Um, and I think it'll be continued to be demonstrated that voters simply aren't enthusiastic about Nikki Haley. And this is part of just again the collapse of the establishment and um, the collapse of public confidence in the establishment. Again, I, I don't think the alternative to that Donald Trump is a good alternative, and I certainly do not uh, do not have anything positive to say about him. But um, it, it is. It is disturbing that the establishment is rooting for someone like Nikki Haley, who seems to be all about violence, so far as I can tell. She's very positive on use of American violence overseas. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that is what is interesting. I mean, but you can always use people of color and women, alone the combination of the two, yeah. to push a right-wing agenda or an aggressive and... Uh, an aggressive agenda that is mean-spirited, quite frankly. You know, you could do much more under the cover of darkness than you can under the cover of whiteness today. 
And I think we have to be very, 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 very careful because everything she says is militaristic, it is aggressive, and um, it's unsettling. And if you had, it, all you have to do is let a white man say it, we'd be frightened to death. I mean, we would be. But, yeah. you know, so what, do you see her candidacy growing? Or do you see this as a harbinger of maybe rocky times ahead for her? Um, first of all, I do want to say I agree with you that I mean, part of what, what is being done here is to use uh, the cover of, um, uh, you know, being a, being a person of color and being a woman of color um, to say things that, um, you know, especially the, I think the female angle, the idea is we do have this image of women as being less violent than men. And, you know, in terms of personal relationships, women are much less violent than men. I'm not sure that's true, though, with regard to things like going to war. There's very little to support that. But still people have this image that women are nicer than men, I guess. And, um, and so Nikki Haley can get away with saying things that would be much more difficult if you had a man, especially a white man, saying them. And that's part of – she's a bit of a front in that respect. Um, and um, so I, I do agree with what you've just said um, in, in terms of you know, using women of color for very nefarious purposes in this particular case. Um, in terms of the future, I mean, I don't really see there's not much evidence that the public is very enthused with her. Again, the establishment is enthused with her, but I don't see the public is enthused with her. Um, you know, I think there'll be some efforts. Uh, there are some, there are some states, New Hampshire, maybe one of them, I'm not sure where, um, you know, Democrats will be allowed to vote in the Republican primary if they wish. And there seems to be some move to try and, uh, among the Democratic establishment to try and boost Nikki Haley over Donald Trump. I doubt it's going to be effective, and I just don't see her going very far. Uh, all the indications are Trump will be the nominee, despite all the indictments, despite all the corruption mm-hmm. that we know about, despite the fact that he's a very bad person in a lot of very obvious ways and was a, a bad president. He is headed to be the Republican nominee, and I don't think there's anything anyone can do about that. Yeah, I mean, and, and the fact is, because people don't trust institutions, they don't care what you say about it. Nobody cares about that. Yeah. And, and right. so many That's people right. have lied. So many people have been corrupt. So many, so many. You know, everybody's over it. I know. I mean, I know I am. I'm like, look, what are you going to do for me? After all of mm-hmm. that, I mean, all this graft and, and theft in politics, I'm like, look, you know, the fact is I cannot afford my rent. I cannot afford my mortgage. My car payments are higher than they've ever been in the history of the republic. I can't breathe. Somebody help me. That's really what it comes down to. Reverend Dr. Yeary, what were your impressions of Iowa, the caucuses? Well, one, I wasn't surprised. Uh, All of the polls leading into Iowa said that the former president was going to win the caucuses. The real question was, who was going to come in second? Would it be uh, by a a percentage of the vote that would give some credibility as you begin to kind of move into the meat of the Republican primary uh, uh, season, if you will? And so in that sense, um, not not shocked. Uh, not shocked that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, underperformed and eventually got out, right? So what that does is probably uh, solidifies even more so the former president's uh, control over what happens in the primaries that will flow from 
uh, here, here on out. And so I think you, you, you begin to kind of look at where, where are the blocks of votes going? Where is the water going when you start finding holes in the roofs of other uh, uh, campaigns? And I think we're beginning to, to kind of see that. Uh, the, the real interesting piece was is that um, there were a couple of issues, right? You're starting to see some, some identification of what are the primary concerns. Of course, uh, near the top is the economy, right? So you'll begin to start hearing messaging around economy. What are you going to do uh, to address the economic conditions that folks are facing? Now that we've gotten past the issue of, of the personality politics, who do I like, who do I not like, uh, how do you get on a debate stage when uh, the person who's leading is not there? How do you challenge one another on the issues that folks are concerned about, right? Because really, when you're, when you're in the primary season, you're just talking to members of the family. How do you have this conversation without going so far to the extreme that you can't come back closer to the center where many times you're going to find the independents who are increasing in number? That's who's going to determine who's going to win. And so these primaries, whether they're Democratic primaries, Republican primaries, whatever's going to happen by the schedule, I think what's going to happen is once you get to and past the conventions, right, this is going to be intriguing for the next few months because it's, it's all we're going to have. When it's time to put, you know, the meat on the grill, when it's time to start cooking, to get the fire hot, it's going to come down to who's speaking to the issues that concern the electorate. Uh, your Gallup poll numbers, I think, are telling. What, what's missing is when we see the increase in independence and you got another 1% drop in Democrats and it's the third year in a row that that's happened, according to the information in the poll, a lot of times you begin to see that when there's dissatisfaction with the party that's in power. So that's not really shocking. What I would want to know and tease out is, are we seeing an increase in voters of color identifying themselves as independent? Because what comes to my mind is the Kerner Commission report and its recognition that uh, in identifying black power in that report, the definition of black power per the commission, this is one thing that always sticks with me, is the ability of black voters and other voters of color, now that we've become more diverse in our political engagement, being able to swing the outcome of elections. And so it's one thing to, to, to play and pander uh, to, to the party loyalists. It's another thing to have to run a campaign when neither party can win the presidency with 27% of the overall electorate. The majority of folks, or almost the majority, if you take 20, a quarter, a quarter, it's a little more than half, but almost half of the rest of, of everybody else is independent. How are you going to speak to them and what are you going to say to them about the issues that matter to them so you can determine who's going to hold the White House? The big challenge then becomes how do you start looking at the, the campaigns for Senate and Congress? That's where I'm, I'm looking at, at the meat of this, because we're so, we're so enamored with the big shiny thing. Who's going to sit in the big chair at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? I'm really concerned with who's going to be putting the legislation on the table? Who's going to be in the chamber to confirm the folks who are going to enforce and regulate the policy? That's where we got to look at this. And so Iowa wasn't shocking. It's just the beginning. And so now we get to see who's going to be the last person standing on the political uh, uh, version of the survivor, who's going to stay on the island, and who's going to partner with and connive with and, 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 uh, and, and compete with to determine who's going to get thrown off next.
Well, I mean, that the, the, you bring up the primary. You know, people are drawn to the bright, shiny thing. And let me start with you, Dr. Uh, Dr. Gibbs, and then you, Reverend Yuri, because Democrats effectively are not having the presidential primary season. I think that's problematic because people are not paying attention to the bigger issues, right? I mean, it's, it's almost as if the primary is not happening on the Democratic side. And yet you're going to have people running for Congress. You're going to have people running for state seats, county seats, local seats. It just, it seems that this is, this is problematic for Democrats. I do believe. Dr. Gibbs. Well, it's going to hurt the Democrats. I think that they really are, they do seem to have a very closed attitude. They're not willing to, allow Biden to, to submit himself to any kind of scrutiny in terms of debate. Um, you know, they're closing off all potential of debate. Let me say I'm not a big fan of Robert Kennedy, and I, I don't support his candidacy, but uh, the fact that, that basically there was no effort to engage Robert Kennedy, no willingness to debate Robert Kennedy, um, you know, it, 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 I think it, it was just not a good look for the Democratic Party that, um, you know, Biden is not you know, opted not even to participate officially in the New Hampshire primary. Again, it it it, it looks it, it projects a certain weakness by the party and a certain sense they don't really believe in democracy and openness. Um, and uh, you know, the Republicans are having you know lively debate and having lively discussion. And really, Trump isn't participating, and that's true. But the party itself is um, is debating, and I don't think this. I'm not a fan of the Republican Party, so people should not take it that way. But I never voted for the Republicans. But you do have this image that the Democrats basically are not really a party that values openness and democracy. And that's, I think, what's the image that we're getting here. I mean, I don't know why we cannot engage in self-critique. I mean, look, this is dangerous to the republic and it's dangerous to democracy to shut this part of the process down, Dr. Gibbs. I, I don't need that. I, mean, I think it's unfortunate that we have to add that caveat. Oh, no, I don't support Robert Kennedy. No, I don't. But not, not have, making the process so complex and so difficult that you cannot have him and Cornell West. They just said, forget this. I'll run with another. I'll run with another party. We're hurt by that, Dr. Gibbs. We're hurt by that. Everybody's hurt by that. I agree. Yeah. Well, again, it also plays into not only uh, pre- presenting an image of weakness for the Democratic Party, but it's something else that I think further undermines public confidence in institutions that they're not transparent, uh, that they will not submit themselves to scrutiny. Now, let's be frank. Uh, there's a perception that, that establishment institutions lie all the time, um, and that's the perception. To some extent, it must be said in reality, because there's a lot of evidence in, that fa- in favor of that view. Um, you know, who... who I mean, who really imagines that, you know, candidates for president don't lie? Well, of course they lie. Um, and the fact that they, you know, that, that Biden will not submit himself to scrutiny, again, it's just not a good look. It also really reinforces the feeling many have that he's not physically and mentally up to a debate. Um, and so all of these things, I think, will not weigh positively in terms of the perce- public perception of the Democratic Party. And I, I think just in a purely tactical sense, it's a mistake. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Democrats cut themselves off from half the discussion yesterday. The last minute belongs to you, Reverend Dr. Yeri, because we were talking Republicans all night long, not Republicans and Democrats. And that, for me, is a problem. 
Well, I don't think they're having the same. Yeah, I, I don't think they have the same schedule, right? So that's one. We got to track this differently now because the states have repositioned to have more of a vote and an impact on when the nominee is selected and which states get to play. So we really have to. Yeah, but we were not even talking time. about the upcoming, the upcoming I'm, primaries. I'm, Typically, we would I'm, be I'm, doing. I'm, that. I'm, 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 I'm clear. I'm clear. But upcoming and what's current, folks are paying attention to what's current. When I talk to the folks that are coming to church, they want to know what's happening now. I don't have time to schedule way out. We've got to be current in the conversation. And I think we just have to stay on top of it so that folks don't get hustled by the rearranging of the seats on the stage. Because it's still a game of musical chairs. Who's going to be the last person in the seat? I think we just got to watch it. And your show and your voice and and your guests are going to help folks remain current that they don't get confused by the changing of the schedule and the rearranging of the chairs. Careful not just to have a conversation in the streets. you got to have it in the streets, and I'm not hearing a buzz in the streets, and that is what concerns me. And I know it concerns you. So, everybody, let's talk with Ray McGovern. I cannot wait to hear Reverend Dr. Heary, uh, David Gibbs. He confronted Robert Kennedy. I said, only... <laughs> Only Ray McGovern would ask you, what about Israel, Mr. Kennedy? What about it? And what about Dr. What about Dr. King and the intelligence community? You know, when I saw the tweet from the FBI, you know, honoring Dr. King, it was almost too much for me to bear, really, given what J. Edgar Hoover did to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in the course of his life telling him to kill himself, working aggressively to make him do that, knowing that he struggled with depression all of his life. Yes, he did. He was human, everybody. He was human. And like geniuses, he had, you know, touches of things that make him struggle. That's the price you pay for genius. That having been said, the American intelligence community made his life a living hell. And we need to talk about that. And it makes the lives of those people who fight for progress and for, and for progressivism. Today, a living hell. And we need to talk about that with Ray McGovern. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. Of course, we have as our special guest, Ray McGovern. Can't wait to talk with him about confronting Robert Kennedy, about uh, about his stance on Israel in this primary season. Uh, the, the role that the intelligence community played in Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's life, the role that they play in the lives of progressive movements today. Um, let's talk about so many issues. I have so many questions for him because, indeed, um, he's someone who has been in the know. And, of course, uh, Dr. David Gibbs, historian from the University of Arizona, Reverend Dr. Uh, Todd Geary's with us, National Leadership Team, Rainbow Push, and, of course, uh, brilliant civil libertarian and author of a great opiner, uh, attorney, Mark Francher, National Conference of Black Lawyers. But we're going to, of course... Center this conversation around uh, the iconic, 
uh, confronter of the powerful. Having been at the center of power for so long, he really understands how the sausage is made, everybody. That is Ray McGovern. So that, I'm coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. I am Santita Jackson. Let's get to it. AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Sending Chad Larch and all my brothers and sisters in Minnesota. It's cold up there, too. Sending you so much love today. Let's get to some of these headlines as we talk about presidential politics on the Santita Jackson Show. Former President Donald Trump won the Iowa Republican caucuses by an unprecedented margin, according to the CNN report, cementing his frontrunner status in the GOP primary field as he vies to be the party's 2024 nominee and reclaim the White House. He received 51% of the vote despite battling four indictments, including charges tied to his efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis edged out former South Carolina Governor and U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley for a distant second place with just over 21% of the vote. Let's talk about that. Call us at 773-763-9278. Also, Vivek Ramaswamy, who finished fourth in Iowa, ended his campaign and immediately endorsed former President Donald Trump. Israel's war in Gaza has brought famine with, quote, such incredible speed, the U.N. relief chief said on Monday as he warned that the great majority of 400,000 Gazans are starving in the besieged enclave. Now, they were already struggling with starvation as they had been calorically restricted by Israel before October 7th, everybody. So let's figure that out. They're saying that if the bombs don't get uh, the people of Gaza, starvation and disease and unsanitary conditions, uh, a destroyed infrastructure will. Mm, let's pray for them and work for them, too, because we have the power to turn that around. A treacherous winter storm in the United States has caused major flight disruptions across the country this week, creating headaches for thousands of travelers. Southwest top the list, once again, of most affected airlines for the second consecutive day on Monday with more than 700 flights canceled, about 18% of its schedule. Unlike their meltdown of 2022 during the holidays, the carriers said the recent cancellations were not due to technical issues and will ease up considerably today. Authorities in Chicago are scrambling to shelter migrants in dangerous cold as Texas Governor Greg Abbott refuses to stop drop-offs. Congressman Jonathan Jackson has written to the Department of Justice asking for Governor Abbott to be investigated for human and child trafficking because what he is doing, in fact, is illegal. What do you think about that? And what about homelessness? There are 16 million vacant units of housing in the United States right now. Should anyone be homeless, unhoused? Absolutely not. Think about that, everybody. If you see anyone who is unhoused, get them to a fire station, get them to a police station, get them to a library, get them to a shelter, get them someplace where they can be warm. There's no reason for anyone to be out in the cold today. And check on people who are your neighbors. Check on people you know. Everybody doesn't have heat. Everybody doesn't have heat. Please don't open those ovens for heat. That is very unsafe. Please, 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 if you need some help, reach out and get some help, everybody. And, you know, and please stay warm. It is really, really, really cold today in Chicago. We're not going to even get to five degrees. It will be two degrees 
and cloudy. Five degrees in Minneapolis, St. Paul. In the NFL wildcard round, the Buccaneers 32, the Eagles 9, the Bills 31, the Steelers 27. Today, uh, well, Monday, uh, the Cavaliers, well, yesterday, Cavaliers 109, the, the Bulls 91. In the NHL, the Wild 5, they shut out the Islanders 5 2 nothing, and those are some of the headlines. Um, Attorney Mark Fancher, I'm so glad that you are back with us once again. And, of course, Reverend Dr. Todd Geary and uh, Dr. David Gibbs, we welcome to the show uh, this tremendous man, this icon, the former chair of the National Intelligence Board of Estimates. He was the person who briefed, gave the CIA briefing to the president of the United States. He's the co-founder of Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. For sanity, he knows how the sausage is made, everybody. He understands how the country works, the threats that we face, how we deal with them, all of that. And so we're so grateful to have Ray McGovern join the show once again. It's always such a joy to be with you. Ray McGovern, what did you make of what happened last night? Let me just start there with Donald Trump in Iowa. Are you surprised? Unfortunately, I'm not surprised, Santita. Uh, my God, what have we come to? Uh, I, I pride myself on my expertise uh, for what it's worth on foreign affairs. I try not to get involved in domestic politics except as they impinge on foreign affairs. And uh, I guess with genocide going on in Gaza and with our government not only blessing it, but supplying it, justifying it, and providing the necessary political and armed support for it. When I think of Donald Trump, uh, I think of, well, my God, he lost that last election, but could he be any worse? Uh, Now, that may be. Yeah, I'm just thinking aloud here, but my God, uh, genocide is genocide. This is a textbook case of genocide, and our government, under the director, under the leadership, so to speak, of Joe Biden, has not only enabled it, but armed it and allowed it to continue, and others are afraid to speak up to, and we have precious few profits such as we had in Dr. King on his birthday. It would have been 95 yesterday, my God. So it's up to us. It really is up to us to speak up. Can Americans be concerned about that, particularly in this election season? Why should we be concerned about Gaza? Well, <laughs> now you got me. I have to just... It ringing in my ears, Santita. Uh, as my wife's admonition to say, look, Ray, for God's sake, tell them what you think of Trump or else they'll think you're defending him. My God. Well, what I think of Trump <laughs> is that he is the worst president the United States ever had, uh, followed as a close second by the fellow who now endorses genocide. <laughs> mm. What? What? I mean, well, then one of the things that is um, that is that has really thrown me off in this election season has been Robert Kennedy. Well, first of all, I'm thrown off by the fact that 
you know, effectively Democrats don't have, um, you know, we're attracted by the bright lights, as Reverend Dr. Yuri said, you know, the bright, shiny things, which is the presidential primary. And that effectively has been shut down by the Democratic Party, which I think is a mistake because there's so many other issues that would happen down ballot because of a presidential primary. But that's been taken off the table. That having been said, you know, two of the most engaging candidates who I think would bring a lot to the Democratic Party and would bring a lot to the process are Robert Kennedy and Cornell West. And they're running independently. Now, Cornell West has been very, very consistent. You've got to absolutely, absolutely give him that. Very consistent on poverty, on um, on issues of income and wealth inequality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've heard Robert Kennedy say some things that, quite frankly, give me cause to pause. He even justified the other day his his uncle and and father's wiretapping of of Dr. King. Did you did you hear about that? Yes, uh, I too was amazed. Uh, something happened to Bobby. Uh, a little background here uh, with my personal experience. I worked for his uncle. Mm-hmm. I served under President John F. Kennedy. As a matter of fact, he was he was the person that got me and a whole bunch of other people devoted to justice down to Washington. You know, I was a senior in college when I heard that inaugural address. You know, don't ask what the country could do for you. Think about just what you can do for your country. And I was majoring in Russian at the time. And after my master's degree and after my service in the U.S. Army as an Army intelligence, uh, infantry intelligence officer, uh, I went and worked for the CIA because that was the place where we were supposed to tell the president the truth and we would have career protection for telling the president the truth. Now, this is not the CIA that most people think of when the word comes up. But there were two CIAs. Now there's just one. But when there were two, there was an independent analysis directorate which could tell the president uh, what was up, who could speak truth to power, so to speak. I was able to tell the president for 20 years what we thought the Soviets were trying to do. And I was instrumental in saying, yeah, they'd really like to have a, a, a arms control agreement. So I was in Moscow in 1972 because my branch at CIA had played a huge role in in creating the conditions where Kissinger and Nixon could sign that treaty, the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty, which was the cornerstone of strategic stability for the next three decades until George, George W. Bush Jr. Uh, decided, well, maybe we'll just get out of that and and things went went down like things went down precipitously at that point. Mm. So, why did, what happened when you confronted him the other day, and why did you feel compelled to do so? Well, um, he was coming to my new town here in the south, uh, Santita. I live in Raleigh. I'm trying to get to see that right. Raleigh, okay? <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to blend in with the indigenous here, and it's wonderful. We live in a black neighborhood, and we've been welcomed, you know. It was really terrific. Anyhow, I heard he was coming to town, and that's what I do. You know, I go and try to confront people who have 
erred in a, in a major way. And the totals of children killed, Palestinian children killed in Gaza had just reached 10,000. So um, I wormed my way into that big rally. I found where the soundboard was and I got up on that stage and somebody tried to bring bring me off. I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm an old guy. I need to sit down. And they <laughs> brought me a chair. Well, about 20 minutes, 20 minutes into the thing, he was talking about the fish, the fish in the Hudson River and the fish in off North Carolina and the rivers that he saved. And, all and I'm saying, my God, to myself, my God, there's genocide going on. He's defending and he's, now he's talking about fish. So it, after there was a round of applause, I interrupted, and I said, "Bobby, what about what about the ten thousand Palestinian children killed in this genocide?" And everything was completely quiet because he had just finished. The applause had died down, and then I could see. Well, he said, "Yeah." He says, "Well, Q and A. We'll have a Q and A afterwards," which, by the way, they didn't. And so I said at that point, "Bobby." I worked for your uncle. You're no JFK, period, end quote. Now, Santita, that puts me in the category of not being a gentleman. And if there's anything my father drummed into me, he said, you know, a gentleman is somebody who never tries to make somebody feel bad. Okay, I think Bobby Kennedy has to feel bad. 10,000 Palestinian children, genocide? When's it going to stop? He's defending it from from talking points from the Israel lobby. Give me a break. So anyhow, there was a, a person that uh, uh, that caught me on tape, a videotape on the way out. I will say this: there were uh, there were two positives came out of that. Uh, I had to go through a big crowd. About eight out of ten gave me a thumbs up. Then he said, "Thanks for saying that." Oh, I wish we could say that, you know? And uh, this is more than, this is probably gilding the lily, Santita, but I, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect to be treated with kid gloves. I, I, I'm used to Secret Service people <laughs> protecting people that I interrupt. No, no, there was no Secret Service protection, as you know. He's been denied that. So what I was subjected to was a very nonviolent, gentle, casual way out. So I had a chance to say a couple things, and some of it was caught on tape. You could see that on my website, BrayMcGovern.com. Uh, we need to confront evil on the spot, and Dr. King is one of the people who made that abundantly clear. Hmm. We're talking with Ray McGovern, everybody, veteran intelligence professionals for sanity. What is, what is your reaction to what you've heard, Attorney Mark Fancher? Well, I, I think we need to be honest. Uh, I don't I don't see personally any difference between tolerating uh, genocide in Gaza and what John F. Kennedy did during his administration, what Bobby Kennedy did during his during that administration as well. Uh, the CIA during that period was a criminal enterprise. Uh, it was engaged in all manner of crimes, particularly in Africa. Uh, we have to know, and the, it's been revealed, that during uh, the period when Patrice Lumumba was the first prime minister for Congo, uh, that the CIA was involved in 
developing a plot to assassinate this man, uh, that they had detailed uh, instructions for someone to put poison in his toothpaste, a CIA agent to do that. Uh, And I think that if you look at the resistance to imperialism uh, throughout Africa, you see that the CIA was fighting it every step of the way with the direction of Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, and all of the people who very often are venerated and respected unnecessarily and inappropriately. Uh, They, like all presidents, are imperialists. Their job as president of the United States is to protect the empire at all costs, to crush and destroy Anybody who threatens in any way the possibility of dominating the planet on behalf of multinational corporations and the oligarchy. And so what Joe Biden is doing is perfectly consistent with that. Zionism has been an important arm of imperialism. It has been necessary in years leading up to now in order for the empire to maintain control of the so-called Middle East and all of the oil resources that are there. Uh, It has been necessary in an earlier period for strategic advantage uh, with respect to the Cold War and the efforts to maintain uh, control of that region, as opposed to the Soviet Union having control over it. So what we're talking about generally uh, is an empire that has as its caretaker a president of the United States, no matter who they are, no matter which party they belong to, and We can't look at uh, current Generation Kennedy and say that somehow he is betraying the legacy of those who went before him. To the extent that he continues to justify genocide, it is perfectly consistent with everything that has been done, because what was done in Congo led to the deaths of countless numbers of African people under the brutal rule of Mobutu Sese Seko, a vicious dictator who was propped up by the CIA, maintained and controlled by them, uh, until he was finally disposed of when he was of no longer any use to the empire. So we've got to be straight and clear about these things. Uh, We can't romanticize history uh, in order to try and understand what's happening now. The only way we understand it is to be brutally honest about it. Well, do you think that that's what you're doing now, uh, Ray McGovern? Because you're really pulling back the covers on a lot, you know, just on, I mean, by confronting the powerful and by pointing out hypocrisy and by looking at, you know, hey, this is not where America ought to be. You've been critical of Israel before October 7th, for example. Um, You've been looking at our relationship with the Soviet Union and saying that we need to view them with a fresh set of eyes before October 7th. I mean, and before Ukraine, because you've taken these, what some people would say are countercultural positions with Ukraine, with the Middle East, and on and on and on. Ray McGovern. Well, Santita, uh, let me uh, first compliment uh, uh, Dr. Blanchard. Is that uh, oh, the right Fancher. name? Fancher. Fancher, yes. Okay, Fancher. Well, I think he was right on the nose there, except for one thing. And that is that John F. Kennedy tried to put a break in all this. He was aghast when he heard that Lumumba had been killed. Uh, He was trying to stop the war in Vietnam. 
Uh, he was not doing what the deep state, so-called today, the national security state, if you will, wanted him to do, and that's why they killed him, okay? So, this is not gilding the lily. This is drawing a distinction between one president who tried to change all that. Now, when that happens, and look what happened in January of 19, I'm sorry, it's 20, uh, 2017. Okay, Trump had been elected. He was not yet president. Uh, but uh, they wanted to tell Mr. Trump the limits within which he would be allowed to act. And so this is what happened. Uh, Rachel Maddow invites Chuck Schumer in for an interview. She said, Chuck, are you saying you have something very important? Tell me, what is it, Chuck? And Schumer says, Rachel, I'm thinking about Trump. My God, he's not president yet, but he's a very naive, very naive person because he's taken on the intelligence people. And that's very unwise because they have six ways to Sunday to get this Sunday. Stay, stay right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Stay, stay right there. So, Let's get to the other side of the break. No, no, so, I want you I want you to speak to that. Because he did okay. say that. And, and they have been after him ever since. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a moment. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Boy, oh boy, it's the Santita Jackson Show. How is the sausage made? Really, what are we looking at in election, during the election 2024 season? I really think that Gaza and the Middle East is going to play an outsized role in our politics. Um, I think the fact that the Democrats have not had um, a presidential primary, I think that's going to play an outsized role as we go forward in our politics. Um, I think that economic inequality and inflation and the fact that people cannot afford uh, to live, that's going to play an outsized role. A lot of things are hitting us all at one time, and I think we need to pay attention. We're talking with Ray McGovern uh, about all of this, veteran intelligence professionals for sanity, for sanity. And, of course, we're joined by Daryl Jones, voting rights advocate, one of the leading voting rights advocates in the country. And, um, of course, he and Barbara Arnwine will be on WOL uh, this afternoon at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. You don't want to miss that. And, of course, C.K. Hoffa will be on at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on WAOK. And we've got Attorney Mark Fancher, National Conference of Black Lawyers, Dr. David Gibbs, um, from University of Arizona, brilliant historian, and uh, Reverend Dr. Todd Yeary. To our historian on the panel, before I get to you, is there a question you'd like to pose to Ray McGovern, Dr. Gibbs? Is Dr. Gibbs still there? Okay, well then let me ask you. is there a question that you would like to pose? I mean, you and uh, Attorney Fancher, you and uh, and 
you know, you you engaged in your critique of the CIA critique that I've had, quite frankly. Is there anything you'd like to ask him or is there, is there a way that you'd like to engage? Well, I, I think the only thing I would say, and, and you know, I, I take his point about uh, JFK, JFK and uh, his at least stated opposition to imperialism. But the point that I want to be clear, at least from my perspective, is that it doesn't matter about the personal sentiments of anybody who holds the office of President of the United States. The job description is caretaker of the empire. And unless the person goes in to that office with the clear objective of going down in flames, committing suicide, uh, not literally, but at least career-wise, by immediately shutting down things like the intelligence operations, shutting down the domination of the military uh, and the, the, the Pentagon's domination of underdeveloped regions, going in and, in, in JFK's uh, case, immediately bringing the troops home. Unless they're willing to really do those things, uh, then I think that, in my mind, they are no different from anybody else who is essentially taking care of the empire uh, for the four to eight-year period, eight period that uh, they're in that office. So, uh, Ray McGovern, I'm no Trump fan, but many people have been saying increasingly that that has been Trump's problem, that he's been dismantling empire by seeking to have friendly relations with North Korea and maybe ending the war there, uh, by seeking to have friendly relations with Russia, and on and on and on. Am I misreading? Well, I think that uh, from the point of view of the empire, and it is rightly called the empire of which we have been the leader, um, Trump is a threat. After all, uh, if we need an enemy like Russia or the earlier the Soviet Union, (laughs) my God, what's going to happen to our military industrial complex if Trump works out a decent relationship with Russia? Um, Now, uh, with respect to John Kennedy, uh, I would recommend a really good book. It's called JFK and the Unspeakable. Uh, It's by James W. Douglas, Douglas with two S's. And it explains what Kennedy did as soon as he was, it was possible for him to do it. Now, he was deceived by the Bay of Pigs operation. Okay, the operations people in the, uh, in the CIA said, oh, Mr. Kennedy, this will be no problem. We've got these, these insurgents. They're moderate insurgents. They're tra- trained to overtake Castro. And as soon as they land on the beach of the Bay of Pigs, this is 1961, okay? As soon as they land, there'll be an uprising and Castro will be overthrown, right? Okay, guess what? It's established as fact now that those operatives who wanted to do this thing under Alan Dulles never checked with the substantive people in the analysis division. The analysis division would have said, oh my God, don't even try this. The Castro is extremely positive. Uh, popular, there's no way that he will be... This would only strengthen him. And by the way, such a ragtag group has no chance of succeeding. That's what the analysis people would say. They weren't even told about the operation, okay? So, uh, uh, JFK was deceived. Now, he decided that 
He wanted to break the CIA up into a thousand pieces, and he made the mistake of telling his neighbor at Hyannisport precisely that. Okay, so they were out to get him. Now, what what did they try to do? Well, long story short, uh, they played this communism role, and JFK said, "That's BS. I'm withdrawing troops from Vietnam." He issued two executive orders. The first one to bring out a thousand troops by the end of 1963, and the second executive order to bring out the bulk of the rest of them by the end of 1965. My God, he's giving communists Southeast Asia, and the dominoes will fall, and we'll lose Indonesia, we'll lose everything. He's got to be confronted. That's what the Joint Chiefs of Staff felt. And George Ball, Deputy Secretary of State at the time, described the Joint Chiefs of Staff as a sewer of deceit. Okay. Now, what Kennedy did was orchestrate a very, very little uh, minuet, sending Maxwell Taylor out there and uh, preparing a, a justification for what Kennedy wanted to do, namely withdraw troops, and that was approved. Now, this really, really got them up up in arms, literally, and they plotted this thing. And it's very clear. If you read Douglas's book, again, the name is JFK and the Unspeakable. That's why they got him. Now, let's just go back for one minute to Chuck Schumer and Rachel Maddow, not, not, not my two favorite people, okay? Here's Chuck Schumer. As soon as, as soon as Trump is elected, but before he takes office, they say, oh, why not? You know, Trump is really crazy. Take, take on the intelligence community because they have six ways to Sunday to get you. And then he says, <laughs> I just reviewed the transcript. Then Schumer says, now get this. We need the intelligence community. As a matter of fact, Rachel, you know, without the intelligence community, we never would have learned about, learned about the Russian hacking of the DNC emails. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> of course we wouldn't have known, because that was all made up by the intelligence community. And court testimony. Court testimony released to the press 45 months ago shows chapter and verse that the the cyber firm looking into the DNC emails established and underscored testimony admitted that there is no technical evidence that Russia hacked into those DNC emails. There is no technical evidence that anyone hacked into those emails. Those emails were given to to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks on a thumb drive or some other kind of external external storage device. So, you know, here's <laughs> in retrospect, here here's Schumer's, you know, here's the thing that he believed this he probably believed with the CIA set up here with the CIA with the help of the, the FBI, and it was the FBI of course that uh, seconded uh, the investigation the forensics of the DNC emails to this CrowdStrike group. Uh, the head of which worked for the CIA director for the previous 20 years. It's pretty damn incestuous. That's what I'm trying to say here, is that once you try to do something about it, you better be really adroit, as Kennedy was in getting a, a limited test ban treaty and putting all kinds of noses out of joint until they couldn't stand it anymore. And they had the capability to do what they did 
Obama himself, now I'll, I'll finish on this. Obama himself was quoted by a friend of mine who heard it from another source. So this is not firsthand information in which I usually deal. But halfway through his term, he was meeting with a bunch of, you know, uh, well-heeled financial supporters, all right? He's having dinner. There are about 12 of them, okay? And at the end, they were they would say, hey, well, you, you promised to improve things in this country. They're, not, they're going to hell with a hand, but what's, what's going on? And Obama lost his patience. Before dessert was finished, he threw down his fork, stood up, and said, don't you remember what happened to Dr. King? Now, again, I have that second hand, but I could easily understand that he would have said that, and unfortunately, I'm sad to say, I know why. Well, I mean, didn't the intelligence community, uh, the Joint Chiefs, some, some entity hide, hide important information from Trump? I'm just trying to paint a picture for people to to let them know that there's always a story behind the story. Yeah, you know, if you look at the Joint Chiefs of Staff or the people who are running the war in Afghanistan, you know, um, when when Trump wanted to get out, or when he wanted to get out of Syria, you know, they put the kibosh in those efforts. They have control of our media. Let's face it, the MIC, you know, the... The military-industrial complex has become the Mickey Mat. Now, if you have a pencil, bring it out here. It's the Mickey Mat now. It rhymes sort of with Mickey Mouse, so you can remember it. It's the military-industrial-congressional-intelligence-media-academia-think-tank complex. Now, why do I say media as if in all caps? Because media is the linchpin. You can't make the Mickey Mat work without the full support of the media. The media is totally corrupted. That's why they did Julian Assange in, or trying to, that's why they did most reputable reporters in. What you get from the established press is not the truth. And that's why, in my view, it's up to us. Radio programs like yours, you know, what Dr. King said in at the Birmingham City uh, Birmingham letter from the Birmingham City Jail. You know, not many people quote this passage, but if you allow me, I want a half a minute to quote what he said about what our task is. He said, "Quote, like a boil that can never be cured so long as it's covered up, but it must be opened with all its pus flowing ugliness to the natural medicines of air and light. Injustice must be exposed." Well, all the tension its exposure creates to the light of human conscience and the air of national opinion before it can be cured. That's our job. I think Americans are decent people, but they need to have that kind of information. And so I applaud, I welcome being asked to talk to you all and your distinguished guests there alongside. Well, I think we need to know, Daryl Jones. I think we need to know how it really works. When my brother was running for Congress, he said, I've been in the room. I know how this thing works. So when he sits in Congress, Ray McGovern, Attorney Jones, I want you to speak to this. And he says, has anyone back channeled with Putin? And the room falls silent, Ray McGovern. They look at him like he's crazy. He's like, come on, you guys. We all know that that happens. Like, come on. <laughs> 
Has, is anyone uh, talking to this guy? <laughs> well, the, the supreme crime is, in Santita, that the answer to that question is no. That broke it off communications. During the Cuban oh, Missile crazy. Crisis, we didn't have email or instantaneous communication. We, we teletype machines, for God's sake. But we had communication. There's nobody talking to the Russians now. And you don't have to believe me about that. The Russians are denying it up in front, up front saying, no, nobody's talking to us. And what would they talk to us about? They have completely different ideas about we, Russians, having lost in Ukraine. My God, that's 180 degrees away from the real situation. And, and what are they doing? Supporting genocide? We're not going to support genocide. We're probably going to help the, the Houthis, for God's sake, or at least Iran, so that there's no attack on Iran. And that's key here, because Iran is in the sights of these neocons that are prevailing in our foreign policy formulation. There's a really good chance that they will seize on the unrest in the Red Sea and, and elsewhere uh, to, to finally fulfill their wet dream of attacking Iran on behalf of our, quote, friends, end quote, in Israel. Goodness. But you know, Cynthia, the, 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 the really, really yes, interesting no, no, question. No, no, go, go on. Go, go on. <laughs> you know, if I may, Mr. McGovern, because, you know, based on the analysis that, you, that you've given with regards to the intelligence community, uh, if there is the election of President Trump as a second term, and we know, you know, about the allegations of him uh, stealing nuclear secrets, we know about him uh, having uh, the, the Russians into the White House and ex excluding the American uh, media uh, from that meeting. We know about the comment with him saying he trusts Putin's intelligence over U.S. intelligence. Where does that put us with regards to the intelligence community and the strife, the, the stress that would exist between the president and the intelligence community? It just seems to be a, a very bizarre position that it places the country in. Well, uh, that's a tough question. He would have to take the, the courage. He, he would have to become, uncharacteristically for him, a profile in courage, if you'll permit me to use that word, he would have to he would have to start acting like like a president, for God's sake. Now, he was totally naive. That's why Schumer and Maddow tried to put him in his place three weeks before he was inaugurated, for God's sake, right? He was, he was a real estate developer from New York. I know about those guys. They don't know anything about Washington politics or, as Santita would put it, how the sausage is made. Now, if he hasn't learned anything about that, well, he knows now. Okay, so in the off chance he has the courage to take these guys on, he can do things. Now, here's an example. I mentioned that, uh, that the Russians were accused of uh, hacking into the DNC emails. Well, let's, let's remind people. Those DNC emails showed that Hillary Clinton stole the nomination from Bernie Sanders, pure and simple. So what happened? Well, uh, Jake Sullivan, the head of the campaign, and Hillary got together and said, let's blame it on the Russians. That will divert attention from what's in those emails, and we'll, we'll win because people are still afraid of Russia. Okay? Now, what happened? Well, as I said before, there was a forensic study done. It was by a, a 
CrowdStrike firm, okay? And they, they lied through their teeth until they were put under oath before the House Intelligence Committee. The date was the 5th of December, 2017. Do the math, okay? What did this guy, Sean Henry, say? He said there's no technical evidence that Russia hacked into the DNC. Was that kept secret? It was for how long? For two and a half years. By whom? By by the guy who, the, the head of that committee, Adam Schiff, okay? Finally, one of these guys that's worked with Trump says, hey, Mr. President, you're, you're the president. You can get that testimony released. And Trump says, I can? Yeah, okay. Well, you tell Adam Schiff that if he doesn't release that testimony, I'm going to release it. And so that is done. Next day, Adam Schiff releases it to the major media. That date was 9 May 2020. Oh, do the math, folks. How many months since 9 May 2020? I've counted them up. 45 Months Now, has the major media published that new information that the Russian nobody hacked into the DNC email? No, it hasn't. How much? Well, Schiff did it. Schiff hit it for two and a half years. Uh, the major media for the next 45 months. So what I'm saying here is that if Trump has, has learned any. <laughs> God, I, I'm not even going to go any further. I'm going to say that I just can't can't envisage Trump becoming president again. And so a lot of this is academic, but should he, should he, then there's a chance that he will have learned to face into these folks. And before they did away with him, he might, he might have the power to do something constructive rather than the things that he's done for the four years he was around. Hmm. Reverend Dr. Yuri, do you have anything to say or any question? We only have a Three or four minutes left. I, I, I don't have a question, but to to Ray McGovern's last point, I think it raises this quandary. Um, when you operate unethically, eventually you're going to find a counterpart cut from that same cloth uh, to be your partner in that enterprise. And so what we've seen historically about particular interests is that depending on who's in the chair, because the the malevolent uses of of the structure of the empire against the interests of the people, we now have this kind of, well, it's actually, I think, a legitimate and necessary paranoia about the structure. Uh, what's the truth? That's question one, number one. Once we find out what the truth is, well, we can't tell that. So what is the lie that we need to develop? And let's develop the lie and let's test the lie and figure out who's going to tell the lie so that we can keep the lie in circulation because we really don't want to handle the truth. And Jack Nicholson's comments just come very forthright uh, when put on the stand and pressured about what really happens. The retort is we can't handle the truth. Actually, we can handle the truth. The question is, how do we create a system, a structure with an advocate, a representative within the structure, protecting the structure? Because ultimately, we have to be purveyors of truth. That's the thing that I've heard over and over and over again. And we can't do it piecemeal. We can't leak out. We just can't do it incrementally. We've either got to be about it or we're not. Otherwise, we're complicit. Absolutely. Mark Fancher, I've got one minute for you. 
No, I, I just um, think that uh, it, it is helpful for us to continue to explore these issues and to understand them. Uh, but ultimately, I think that uh, just as in Iowa, uh, the people are going to be heard, they're going to speak, and they can speak either from a position of knowledge uh, and information and wisdom, or they can speak from a position of being extremely ignorant, extremely confused, and extremely misinformed. And I think that's what's going on now. And as I've said in the past, I think the great failing of the left in this country is that uh, it has failed to go and forthrightly communicate truth uh, to those white workers who are hurting in many ways because of the crushing impact of capitalism generally, and they've been misinformed and misdirected, and they really don't know what is going on. They don't understand it. The conversation that we're having today, we need to have with them, but too many on the left are reluctant to have that conversation for many reasons. They refuse to have that conversation. And these ignorant white workers continue to make very bad and confused decisions. Hmm. Ray McGovern, the last 90 seconds belong to you. <laughs> okay. I have the constructive <laughs> suggestion. Uh, the CIA headquarters building, uh, despite all the things they did to Dr. King, is named the J. Edgar Hoover Building, okay? Well, we need to change that to the uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Building, or if that's too controversial, let's name it the Fannie Lou Hamer Building, okay? <laughs> no, I want to quote a prophet. Honestly, let's tear favorites. it down. Let's just tear it down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm moving in stages here. I think first we rename it, and then we tear it Okay, here's, here's Annie Dillard, my favorite prophet, okay? It's up to us, right? There is only us. There never has been any other. What we should do is amass half-dressed in long lines like tribesmen and shake our gourds at each other to wake up. Instead, we watch television and miss the show. We can't afford mm. to miss this show. Dr. Singh said there is such a thing as too late. We have to heed that and not be too late this time around. Wake up, everybody. As they said at the end of school days, wake up. Ray McGovern, your gift. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day. Can't wait to be with you tomorrow on the Santita Jackson Show.